you either die the hero or live long enough to completely mess up your cinematic universe. Hey everybody, this is the Inciting Moment Podcast. My name's Ian. Who else here is with me? Hi, I'm Sam. And listening to uh, Bob Marley's Africa Unite before watching Blood Diamond really puts things in perspective. And I'm Harrison. I think this was the check-in for Gotham Asylum, correct? Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, and, I made a wrong turn. Never mind. Let me get going. And Ian, <laughs> they don't really have to wait too long before they fucked up the universe. Uh, no. No. Within a couple of years after Batman v Superman, uh, we would get another Batman. We would get another Batman. And, uh, if you couldn't tell... One of us here saw the most recent Batman, hence the uh, little reference to how the cinematic universe has just kind of gone down the shitter with a completely separate, entirely isolated Batman story in 2022's The Batman. Wait, something that just dawned upon me. Yes. Why does DC keep rebooting? By taking the original movie title and just putting the in front of it. I don't know. We got the Suicide Squad. We got the Batman. It wouldn't surprise me if we get the Superman. I mean, what do you want them to write? Like, Batman Part 5? This <laughs> actor's edition? Yeah. <laughs> well, it's a weird thing, because obviously um, I, I looked up some stuff regarding the Batman... Um, and the weird thing was that originally it was supposed to be part of the extended cinematic universe that Warner Brothers have since squandered. <laughs> um, I mean, this is not really something recent. Uh, their attempts at a cinematic universe have kind of been a little, um, haphazard, as we've talked about before. Uh, the very last one that really has any semblance of continuing that was uh, the Snyder Cut, which we talked about in a much earlier episode. And after Batman v Superman came out, Ben Affleck, who was supposed to be in a Batman standalone movie that focused more on his uh, neo-noir sort of um, roots and stuff like that, and believe it or not, actually focus on him being a detective. What a what a concept, am I right? But he can't stop playing his favorite role of alcoholic. Ah, <laughs> uh, no, and that's part of the reason why he not only uh, dropped directing and writing it, but also starring in it. So then the story was handed off to Matt Reeves to continue it, um, and obviously recast him with Robert Pattinson, but... Any and all connections to the earlier DCEU uh, ventures were just completely removed, and it's its own standalone thing. And here we are with the Batman. And uh, I went in a little like, okay, well, you know, trailers look a little interesting, but I don't know, man. This is like the second Batman we've had within a span of, well, originally only like two or three years from when Ben Affleck premiered in Batman v Superman, but obviously the movie got delayed so many times that it only now, in 2022, came out. It still feels so soon, especially considering the Snyder Cut was finally released just last year. So it's just like, oh, wow, <laughs> we have another Batman. 
Whoa. Can you guys just like wait a couple more years before you make another Batman? But with those concerns out of the way, uh, I have to say, if you haven't seen the Batman, you should go and see the Batman without any shred of doubt in my mind. Uh, I was pleasantly surprised with the Batman. And I'm just going to come out here and say it's kind of getting there in terms of being my uh, my favorite Batman movie. So, um, yeah, I hold this movie in high regard. Okay, I, I guess what we what I'd like to do then, because I've, I've heard some common complaints about it, and uh-huh. maybe I could like bring them up, and if you wouldn't mind kind of like, addressing them, I would appreciate it. Uh, I guess one complaint... Sure, because I mean, heard, I have my points of contention with it, obviously. I've heard that... Pa- oh my god. Uh, uh, Edward. <laughs> uh, god. <laughs> Robert Pattinson. Thank you. I was going to say, like, Panics and Robert. <laughs> no, I, I heard... He was kind of one tone throughout the whole movie. What's your opinion on that? Would would you say that's true? That he didn't really have any other emotion besides. I would have to agree because something I came out of it with was that I thought he was fantastic as Batman, which actually surprised me quite a bit. Mm -hmm. Um, But then again, whenever somebody's cast as Batman, they usually surprise most people anyway. Like Batman v Superman, not that great of a movie. Ben Affleck is still easily the best part of it, (laughs) in my honest opinion. And the same goes with Robert Pattinson. Uh, however, um, I don't like his Bruce Wayne. And the reason why I don't like his Bruce Wayne is because he still acts like so brooding around people in public. He's so... Uh, the movie even points at this by having certain characters in public saying, Yeah, you know, Mr. Wayne, you're an awfully socially reclusive guy. And nobody ever sees you in public and you always look so miserable. It was in that moment, I'm like, wow, how has no one put two and two together that he's Batman then? <laughs> Maybe they just kind of see him in a situation like how people look at Mark Zuckerberg. They just kind of look at him and go, huh, that guy is rich. It's more like they know he's not human. Like Mark Zuckerberg, like, obviously he's a reptile, but no one's going to bring obviously. it up. It's kind of the obviously. same thing with Batman and Bruce Wayne. No one's going to look at him and say, holy shit, that's Batman. Because, you know, there's probably right. some whack retaliation. Yeah. You know, kind of like Mark Zuckerberg would probably go all uh, lizard from uh, uh, like, uh, from like, Mortal Kombat. Ian, I had a <laughs> two-hour discussion with a friend about the legality of Batman through IRS tax laws. Oh. Oh, yeah. That's got And how fun. everyone has to know he's actually Batman because of the, the bad credit card, Ian. The bad credit card. <gasps> The back it credit card! It You're right! Because to have the back credit card, he needs bat social security. Oh, no, that's true. Oh, you got him, Harrison. <laughs> you figured uh, it out. But, um, yeah, he does a better Batman than Bruce Wayne, uh, which, granted, that's also because the movie... Uh, is more about Batman than Bruce Wayne, because it really plays up that whole thing that sometimes people argue regarding Batman in that Bruce Wayne really isn't Bruce Wayne. Bruce Wayne at heart is really Batman. Bruce Wayne sometimes can be argued to be the mask and Batman is who he really is, what he's meant to be and stuff like that. And this movie uh, really plays that up and I like that because um, in previous Batman movies, uh, Batman really isn't that interesting 
as a character, oftentimes. Like, he has his moments of, like, oh, that's interesting. But uh, this movie, I, I have to say, Batman himself was the most interesting part of the film, which is a interesting change of pace uh, compared to the uh, previous films. Um, but, uh, Sam, was there anything else that you wanted to uh, know about? I guess that was the biggest contention. I mean, I've heard that the... Uh... The world building is very good, but incredibly oh, depressing. Is. Would you say that depressingness is more of a good thing or a bad thing? You know, I actually didn't think it was all that depressing. I okay. really didn't. I mean, here's the thing. Um, Gotham is not <laughs> a wonderful place at all. And what I think this movie has in terms of a reason to do that is... It sort of attempts to tackle that question that a lot of people have argued regarding Batman. That being, does Gotham really need Batman? Is what Batman, you know, doing day in and day out, or rather night by night, really helping the city? And could Bruce Wayne just fund more things in the city in order to get by on, you know, cutting down cra Oh, absolutely not. Oh my goodness, no, that wouldn't do it at all. <laughs> uh, Gotham is so corrupt. It is so just filled with crime. And the police force, with the exception of the people closest to Commissioner Gordon, who was also one of the best parts of the movie, by the way. Oh, absolutely. The thing about it is that Gotham is just so knee-deep in all of that stuff that it needs Batman. It absolutely needs Batman. I'm not going to lie. Obviously, it's questionable if a real-life Batman is even possible or needed or anything like that. And while this movie doesn't, by any means, say definitively, oh yeah, real-life reality could use a Batman, it makes it a little more believable. And not just in how the city needs Batman, but also just how the aesthetic of Batman and like some of his tech also is a little more believable. For one thing, it, uh, he's not wearing spandex or or silicone rubber for his bat suit like in previous films. Uh, he is wearing like metallic body armor that multiple times saves his ass from being killed. Um, and uh, th the same also goes for the Batmobile. I'm not going to lie. When it was revealed, that was like one of my favorite scenes. And just the whole chase scene involving it. Easily some of the best parts of the film. And at first I didn't know what to think of it because I just like, oh, well now it's just a muscle car and not like a tank or anything like that. So, you know, it kind of breaks it away. But, you know, then it starts uh, driving and, and plowing through other cars. And I'm like, oh, okay, never mind. No, that's, that's actually kind of bad. <laughs> okay, okay. My only form of, of like, uh, negative criticism with the movie mainly has to do with one aspect to the whole, um, oh, trying to have a little more believable, realistic aesthetics with uh, Batman's arsenal. One of Batman's uh, iconic things with his Batsuit is that his cape can act as a glider and all that. Okay. Which really became popular after um, the Christian Bale movies. That makes when sense. those movies came out, it basically made that part of his main, like, set of gadgets and stuff like that. That every future interpretation of the character just always had and stuff. 
it's in here, and I understand it's more realistic, which, hey, that's a little topic that we'll get into in just a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but dear Lord, it looks so lame. Mm. Um, it's, it's, it's a flying squirrel wingsuit. That's what it is. <laughs> he, he takes his cape, he literally wraps it around his body, attaches it to, like, his chest, and it just becomes your average wingsuit. Which, granted, I understand that's probably what a real-life Batman would use, because, you know, there's been some questioning if his cape could actually work that well as a glider, but... Oh, God, it just takes away any, like... <laughs> visual integrity that he had you know because you know he's this feared figure in the city part of what makes him so effective at crime fighting is that when the bat signal comes up in the middle of the city criminals literally are worried that anywhere within the city where there's darkness where there's shadow he could be sitting there he's like a literal boogeyman and i'm sorry to say the whole boogeyman aesthetic is kind of dropped when he's flying in like a fucking flying squirrel. <laughs> I would be shitting my pants. I don't know what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I mean, hey, to, to each their own, but... You don't know the terror of seeing a grown man flying at you, regardless of what they are in. Even if Homeboy is dressed like a clown in a wingsuit, flying oh, Especially at you, if he's dressed as a clown. <laughs> <laughs> especially if he's dressed like a clown oh god you know i was talking to james and even james was saying i don't know what you mean ian i'd be pretty intimidated if all of a sudden i hear from the uh the sky above me i am the knight i am vengeance and he comes flying in with a flying squirrel <laughs> and then here <you're>, honk <laughs> yeah well I, I i mean the the other problem is that right after he's flying off of there i'm sitting there i'm like oh that mm really lame looking he he has to deploy a, a a parachute right and he deploys the parachute but the parachute gets snagged on a part of a bridge so it whiplashes him upwards and he he bonks into a lighting fixture and i don't think it was supposed to be funny but i thought it was fucking hilarious that's how they get you oh that's how they get you indeed um but i mean really I can't stress this enough. Those two things that I talked about, literally the only things I had issues with. Because everything else, the soundtrack, the pacing, which surprised me, given that it's a nearly three-hour-long movie. <laughs> oh, God. It all just felt right. If it, it, it also felt fresh. That was the thing I was worried about. Okay. It felt fresh, you know? What was fresh about it, would you say? Oh, just how instead of, uh, I don't know, having the story being run entirely by the antagonist, almost to the point where they're the protagonist at times, because Batman's sort of like more of a supporting character, it was just very neat to explore Batman's detective side and actually have like a mystery that he has to unfold and all that. And I mean, hey... Uh, not a terrible way of trying to ground the Riddler and stuff like that. How did they do it? It's a mixture of him being, like, uh, almost like the, the, the same level of ominous and just overall uh, psychotic madman, like the Zodiac Killer. Mm-hmm. But if he was also, 
and hear me out on this, a Redditor? Oh, Jesus Christ. Oh, I, <laughs> I heard this exact thing what a friend was saying. Yeah. So he's an e-girl? <laughs> kind no, no, of. Like, they were telling me that he's like one of those like forum trawling sorts. He was just looking for attention. Oh, no. A little bit, and he uses uh, all these different live streams and whatnot to, um, you know, use as a platform for his riddles and stuff like that. Uh, like, for example, some people are hooked up to, like, uh, bomb collars around their necks, and, you know, they, they have to uh, solve his riddles on live stream in order to um, save their lives and stuff like that. Um, and, and it's also because he's so elusive and, and constantly moving places, he uses that as a means of always taunting Batman and, and, and stuff like that. So I thought that was at times an okay way of, um, you know, I, I guess modernizing or, you know, making him seem a little more believable. But some of his Redditor stuff... Uh, gets a little out of hand and a little absurd later on. I, I won't spoil, because again, you two really need to go and see the Batman. Uh, okay. But there were times where I'm like, uh, that's a bit much. Please tell me he says PogChamp. Please. <laughs> no. Please, oh. no. Please, Ian, I need to know this, because this will decide if I see the movie. Please tell if me. He, he, says, hey, he doesn't say little... PogChamp. No, he doesn't say PogChamp. Uh, so he, do he doesn't say, hey, my little PogChamp, let's go You know, take on the ma the mayor of the city. Ooh, what's this? No. <laughs> Is this a little baddie waddy? <laughs> this little baddie waddy. <laughs> With a little no. squirrel suit. <laughs> no. I don't think I, can, not. I don't think I can give it a recommendation then. <laughs> oh, God damn, guys. Such high standards. He doesn't drive in his Subaru. Okay, I'm feeling Subaru. disgusted. Subaru. <laughs> oh god, yeah. no, that's cursed. That is very good. Oh, that's bad. Ian, that's when's bad. the episode that we're going to do where we all talk and ooh speak for the full like, hour that or so? That is never. That is that's never going one. to happen, my guy. That's Ian, it could have happened. Listen, listen, listen. It could have happened if we recorded two days ago. It could have. It could have. It could have been the same one we did Heaven Gates ourselves. Like, look. <laughs> uh, oh, that's, that's kind of a dark joke for a dark movie. But... So I guess bit. one of the things we noticed in the Batman movies ever since Christopher Nolan's is this really this kind of down to ground feeling with uh, with them and it's kind of make it more realistic I guess. So mm -hmm. I, I have to ask you guys, what do you think about the overall topic in realism in movies? I guess if I, obviously I should probably specify. Do you think that there's such a thing as too much realism in a movie? Like, do you think people too trying much. to make a movie? so based in reality like you know trying to make it the story as realistic to real life as possible and stuff like that do you think that's healthy for a movie do you think that's good for a movie well the thing that you have to remember is that movies have always been a medium where while yes reality is taken into account more often than not it's still a medium where the like suspension of disbelief can sometimes be uh, questioned or just outright not really taken into consideration because sometimes people go and see movies to not really be reminded of um, what's going on in reality. Mm -hmm. Obviously, people watch movies for different reasons. One thing I will say is that 
when you have little elements that sort of take into account, well, when you think about it, if this is going on, that would happen. Or, oh, hey, it would turn out like that. I would say it can sometimes, uh, depending on the material. And I, I can't stress that enough. It really does depend on the material. Mm-hmm. It could make it a little more immersive, a little more believable, and in some ways a little more engaging, you know? Okay, i got a question for both of you right now. I think this is a good one. So do you All guys right. think it's possible to make a movie without the need for a suspension of disbelief? Or do you think that's an actual physically impossible task? I'm now, very split down the middle with this. I'm not going to lie. Now, here's, here's what I think for this, though, right? Even if you make a movie grounded down to earth and use only actual events that happen, someone watching it will still have to suspend some stuff because there will always be uncertainty and going, this couldn't have been what happened. Otherwise, you're just going to be watching a mundane day-to-day and it's not actually going to be interesting. Yeah, I, I, I think Harrison makes a point in kind of what I was getting at when I said I was very down the middle on this uh sort of idea because obviously if you're making something like say the batman right off the bat it's obviously based on a fictional character in a fictional world in a fictional city and all that but if you're going with this mainly grounded in reality uh mainly of course obviously there's a few things where it's just like "Mm, maybe not one thing that it's very good at is that it's not so absurd with what's introduced that uh, I sit there and I go, well, this is just odd. For example, I mean, the thing is, if all of a sudden in the Batman, right, uh, you're watching this mainly neo-noir uh, crime drama-esque thing going on, where it's about a bunch of thugs or terrorists threatening Gotham and stuff like that, and then all of a sudden Superman shows up and uses his laser vision and blows up like, uh, I don't know, a couple of Riddler's goons and stuff like that, fries them alive. Well, now it's just moved straight into sci-fi and that came out of nowhere because it's just not that kind of story that seems where, okay, <laughs> that's that's a little out of nowhere. I, I, I don't think that really meshes well with the story going on. And what it really boils down to is how tasteful would it be with the kind of story you're telling? Especially also kind of moving on to, like, say, uh, movies that are biopics or maybe just uh, recreations of something that actually happened. Like, for example, Captain Phillips, right? Uh, I think that would be a good example for this comparison. The whole thing with that was Captain Phillips was taken hostage at some point during that whole conflict. Now, if you mean to tell me that all of a sudden in that movie, as he's being taken away, he suddenly strong arms every single one of those armed uh, pirates and throws them overboard single-handedly, like breaking their guns in half. Well, I don't think I would believe that all that much. (laughs) Especially if it's Tom Hanks. Not to shit on the guy, but I mean, you know, he's not puny, but Tom Hanks, I wouldn't say is like built. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. He ain't no Jack Reacher. Yeah, yeah. Um, it really just does come down to the question of whether it's fantasy or sci-fi or something like that. Mm-hmm. Does it still kind of follow the rules of like most 
reality cases and stuff like that. Like, okay, let's say it's Lord of the Rings, where there's, like, little bits of magic and stuff like that. If all of a sudden most of the main cast were able to jump, like, 30 feet into the air with not much of a reason explained, or really having any direct mention of magic involved, I, I mean, where did that come from, you know? Okay. So. It's, it's it's that sort of stuff. It really just does come down to, does it fit with the world that the movie is taking place in? Really. Okay, so what you're saying is, you think it's more important for a movie to keep within its own logic than yes. it is really to keep in with the idea of what we find realistic in our world. So as long as yes. the internal logic is consistent and secure within itself... Yes, that is exactly what I would... Yeah. Okay, how about you, Harrison? I'm guessing you're probably going to say something similar. Me personally, right? I I like to write a lot. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that you kind of have to learn when you do any sort of writing is you want things to be internally consistent. Because suspension of disbelief is almost always going to happen your reader or viewer only notices it when something breaks the immersion. Okay. Because, like, for the movie that we're about to discuss, Blood Diamond, the whole movie went, and then Leo just whips out a laser gun at the conclusion. Nothing up to that point matters anymore. Whole movie's broken. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> one little thing that breaks it can throw everything off. And that's the problem that uh, twist endings always end up doing. Because they essentially undermine the set tone. I think death, or just overall mortality in movies, is an interesting example to uh, pinpoint when you're talking about suspension of disbelief or realism and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. If, for example, uh, let's say... In Blood Diamond, uh, or really any film that has any sense of war and conflict, you have these people, normal people, right? No body armor, nothing. They're just wearing raggedy shirts and stuff like that. They are being shot multiple times and still going and not, you know, dying. Mm -hmm. I mean, at at, at that point, how are you supposed to feel anything when they get hit? How, how, How do you have a sense of dread and worrying if your favorite character is going to die. I mean, the same thing mm-hmm. goes with, uh, for example, um, I want to say Star Wars, because uh, think about it, most main characters in that series get their limbs chopped off and stuff like that, you know? And of course, yeah. they get like a robot uh, replacement or, you know, prosthetic thing. Darth Maul, going by actual canon because he came back in the Clone Wars, dude literally has robot legs. Literal robotic legs as replacements because he somehow survived that. And I'm not going to lie, I'm happy that he's back. And in some way, I might be able to believe that. But the show completely glosses over how exactly he survived. And the only thing that we get is his hatred was so strong that the dark side kept him alive. I don't know, maybe there's something I skipped over in the grand lore of Star Wars, but I don't remember there being much of like a like a enhancement that the Force gives you to where you can just survive shit like that. Mm-hmm. Because not only was he chopped in half, he also fell down like this whole several-story deep chasm 
in The Phantom Menace, and if being chopped in half didn't kill him, I would imagine that that would. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I don't know, maybe there was like a ventilation shaft that he fell into and it, you know, broke his fall or something like that, and he didn't just splat on the ground. I have no clue. You know, it, it's it's stuff like that, where when you introduce things like that, it's just, well, now the, the, the sense of mortality doesn't feel real. And now I don't really care if something happens to this character again, or really anyone, if they're in a similar situation. Yeah, there's no risk. So, I think in a way, semi-realism is important, especially mm-hmm. in, like, sci-fi films, like Star Wars. Uh, or, in the case of our recommended movie, conflicts that are being used in films that are based on real-world situations and stuff like that. Especially that. Dear Lord, if you fuck that up, you are in some big trouble. Uh, especially people who may be a little more knowledgeable on that particular situation. Uh, because they will be very quick to point out, yeah, that's that's kind of full of shit. Yeah, the biggest thing is internal consistency. It's the realism in the movie. Yeah, you gotta have to make it a little realistic in terms of if you want suspense... You know what I mean? But it also kind of loops back down to the, you know, internal logic. I would agree. And I mean, hey, uh, you know, um, I think another thing that uh, realism, or at the very least semi-realism, can really help when you're taking into account, well, how would that work in this situation in real life versus how would it work in a movie? It can add some neat little details in terms of how certain events in a movie play out and all that. Where if you have a particular uh, focus on those uh, details, it it can add immersion, you know, Mm -hmm. Uh, especially if it's with sound, too. Like if there's little details with how the sound mix handles little uh, creaks, uh, shots going on in the background and stuff like that, especially when it comes to which direction you hear it. Hey, I mean, that really adds some immersion. It makes Mm -hmm. you really feel like you're there and stuff like that. When you actually have, like, a solid understanding of mortality with what can injure a character and potentially even kill them, it also adds tension, I would say. Because it just feels Mm -hmm. like, oh, man, I I mean, with with how that guy just got shot to pieces, that could happen to anyone at any point. I mean, the, the, the whole list goes on in terms of how it can help add the immersion. It could also go into... Well, how would a character actually react in this situation or something like that? You, you know, because psychologically, there, there's been a couple cases where it's just like, oh, okay, well, that's some interesting mental gymnastics you went through to come mm-hmm. to that conclusion or have that reaction. And you're Skywalker now, huh? <laughs> <laughs> that's crazy. Ah, <laughs> uh, that's, you know, that's a pretty good example. Yeah. And so, in that way, realism can be a, a cool way to show a representation of a scenario that's happening in real life. And a great example of that is the movie we're going to talk about today, Blood Diamond. Yeah, another piece of media that features all kinds of child soldiers. <laughs> mm-hmm. Paints a really weird, beautiful, and brutal picture of Africa. And... Blood Diamond, or as I like to call it, how I learned to stop lusting for the Oscar 
and love the lack of one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. I, I mean, obviously now he has one, but I mean, this was still during that time where people were like, when is he just going to get it? Like, look, you know? look. Because by we... this point, if I'm not mistaken, he did The Departed. Yeah, this is after The Departed, which is just oh, fucking God. crazy to think about. Mm-hmm. I honestly think that uh, The Departed or um, his stuff in Django Unchained was really good. And at the very least, could have been contenders for him getting a Oscar and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Even mm-hmm. if it's just supporting character, you know? But no, I mean, uh, Blood Diamond, here we are. Uh, Sammy Boy, how's about you give us just a general synopsis of what the movie's about and explain to us why this movie, of all the ones that you could have picked? So, a very, very brief synopsis of the movie is this African man by the name of Solomon Vandy, played by Jimon yeah, Hansu, fine, is working working for a, you know, he was basically enslaved under, well, his village gets attacked by a bunch of mercenaries. And he works with them digging up diamonds. And while doing so, he finds this huge fuck-off diamond. A big old one. And he hides it for later. And he runs away, gets caught, and keeps telling people that he's found said diamond. And Leonardo DiCaprio's character, the other main character, hears about this, gets him out of prison, and it's kind of like their tale of finding this diamond and getting uh, Solomon Vandy's family back. And there's a little more, there's a lot more and it's just that, but that's the very brief synopsis. This movie was basically a complete fucking accident. <laughs> I was up late one that night, scrolling through Netflix, as you do, mm-hmm. and I saw this movie, I'm like, I heard about it, it looks kind of gritty, I'm not usually in for those kind of, like, more based in reality gritty movies, but I don't know, something just kind of clicked, something told me I should watch it, this inner instinct, ultra instinct, and mm-hmm. I watched it, and it fucking blew me away. It's as simple so as that. That's I just, the power of Ultra Instinct. Yeah, it turns out I was fucking right, because this movie is good as hell. I mean, I mean, look, look, I'll be real with you guys. It, I'll let you know beforehand in the previous set if I'm going to pick a movie I hate. For the most part, it's going to be movies I fucking love. But one of these days I'll pick a movie I hate, or a movie I've never seen before, but look, I love Blood of Diamond. It's dope as fuck. I like it. I, I, what are you guys' general thoughts, though, before I start gushing? Well, I mean, general thoughts, uh, I thought it was very good. Very, very good. Uh, very entertaining. Uh, and I would say that it does point attention towards uh, something that at the time wasn't getting as much uh, notice as it probably should have been, <laughs> considering how uh, you know diamonds on the market were heavily being sourced from uh, that entire country and that whole conflict, hence why they were referred to as uh, conflict diamonds for a long time. Uh, not a film that really feels like uh, its runtime really drags. I mean, it is a long movie. It's it's uh, two and a half hours. but It's yeah. an investment. What I was impressed by was that the pacing just kept itself uh, going pretty well. Um and whatnot but for reasons i'll kind of get into i actually thought that as a general movie it does keep your attention it is very entertaining i thought in areas maybe it could have slowed down a little more and go into more depth with some of the side things that they come across uh throughout the film but of course i'll I'll get into that as we get into the nitty-gritty and also cover 
little bit of spoilers. Uh, Harrison, what about you? I was telling uh, telling Sam this before we started recording. Another Leonardo DiCaprio has somehow made the most at the beginning hateable and then understandable character because I don't know how he does it. It's like every single character he does for me. People will like them. I watch the movie. Mm -hmm. How do you like this character? He's awful. It's great. Yeah, he. I think he did a really good job in playing a character who has, obviously he ain't perfect, he ain't a good guy. And I wouldn't even say he has a redemption arc. Spoil this for later, of course. But it's, there's such a balance with him in which it's just as Harrison said, he's I mean, he's literally a mercenary. He, you know, against spoilers, betrays Vanny and is for the most part just going after the diamond. He doesn't give a fuck about uh, Solomon's kids or wife or anything. He just wants that diamond. <laughs> oh yeah, and he's entirely like exploiting him all throughout the way. Mm-hmm. But there's this uh, there's this very subtle yet progressive change in him over the course of the film that I just found absolutely fantastic. You were saying, Harrison? Oh, I was going to say, he somehow manages to betray and backstab every single character he interacts with. Mm-hmm. Hey, when you're Leo, you can do what you want. Yeah, I mean, I especially liked his performance. Um, mm-hmm. I thought he was only second next to uh, Solomon. Oh, yeah, wow. he rocks um, it. Well... I mean, uh, since we are on the topic of the characters, there, there, there are quite a few that the movie follows. And uh, I want to say almost balances them pretty well. Um, I'm not going to lie. I personally think Solomon should have had more prominence as like a main character. Because there's quite a few times where I felt that Danny almost had the spotlight for a little too much time. And Solomon very much was just, like, uh, for, for a good chunk of the movie, following him, you know? I mean, in, in certain ways, Danny learns a bit from, from Solomon along the way, and they kind of make up for previous altercations and stuff like that. But the, the problem is, is that, A, I felt Danny, while, again, fantastic performance from Leo, I thought was in the spotlight a little too much, and considering that the heart of what's going on with the characters is the most personally tied to Solomon, I think Solomon should have, you know, been focused on a little more. Uh, especially because uh, the other detractor that I kind of have um, when it comes to the characters in the movie, Leo has more time, and frankly, I, I think it really wasn't worth it because his overall arc seemed a little predictable and I didn't really think it resolved itself all that well when at the end of the movie uh, spoilers now we can go into the other nitty-gritty stuff as well because there's quite a bit to kind of point at and stuff like that um he does die uh and kind of like what the colonel that he was trying to get the diamond to was saying uh he'll never really leave Africa he uh, he dies while holding the uh, the the soil that the colonel said was soaked in the blood of uh, all the people involved in the conflict. And uh, what do you know? Some of that blood is in the soil that uh, came from Danny 
after he was shot. You know, a little thematic thing. I like that little touch, but yeah, because it, it, it really doesn't feel like he changed for the better until the very end. Um, I'm just like, well, at the very least, could we have gotten a little bit more of Solomon? Because he obviously yeah. has a more complete, you know, through line with that. Because um, one of the main things is, is that he's not only trying to find his family... But uh, with that whole child soldier thing we were alluding to, uh, his son, Dia, was uh, captured by mm -hmm. the, uh, the insurrectionists mm -hmm. um, and uh, basically brainwashed, drugged up, and uh, used as a, uh, a weapon of the conflict. And dear lord, it was hard to, to, to see that particular bit because there was a whole sequence where it's just the kids at their base of operations, just acting like complete degenerates. Mm -hmm. Oh, Lord. But I think one of the best things about this movie is this depiction of Africa. I think it does a really good job of balancing its more brutal side with the good things about it. I mean, there's, oh, there's, yeah. there's not just brutality in Africa. There's a beautiful countryside with good people there. And it shows this through, like, the Oh, that's the other thing. This movie it. looks beautiful. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it looks absolutely fantastic especially with the cinematography and just the locations that they found and everything they they clearly picked out some good spots mm -hmm. what do you think harrison was there anything you really liked or really hated about the movie um i would say like historical accuracy for some of the stuff with ruf specifically was mm -hmm. actually spot on hmm. like, really yes the whole th you know that weird the part where uh like the kid camp, and they like they cut the RUF initials into the kids with like the razor blade. Uh huh. Yeah. And the even giving them cocaine. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. All of that stuff that actually happened. Fuck, that's brutal. Well, goddamn. Uh, uh, there, there was a detail that came up in the very beginning when uh, Solomon is captured himself by the RUF, um, where. <laughs> another little glimpse of just how brutal this whole conflict was the ruf were uh chopping off the arms of uh some of the villagers as a means of discouraging them from voting mm -hmm. um yep. what was was that a detail that you found to be historically uh accurate i, I would assume uh yes okay <laughs> that was their actual their slogan was relating to the hands uh, power in their hands. Fucking brutal. So if they took away the hands, they didn't have any power anymore. Okay. Yep. Oh. Oh God, that's. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So I, th I, I think I do think it does a really good job in representing that just rougher side. And it, I don't feel like it really holds any punches. Oh no, no, no. I, kinda... I don't entirely think so. I I think um kind of going to that whole pacing thing I was talking about. Uh, it's very energetic and never feels like too quickly cut. Maybe a couple times in like some of the battle scenes it seemed just a little too snappy, a little too jittery with how quickly it was cutting between things. But for the most part, I was able to follow what was going on in some of those sequences because they are some of the more brutal but also energetic sequences in the film. Yep. Um... The only thing, though, is that with certain parts, I think this movie maybe spread itself a little too thin in terms of how much it wanted to cover, in terms of 
how the conflict was affecting different areas of Africa and stuff like that, because when it sort of does that, it doesn't feel like it has as much time to really go into depth with some of those. And some of those little parts of the story, I, I felt either could have had entire movies entirely dedicated to that section of the conflict, but also I, I, I just thought with some of them, either with a slightly longer runtime or maybe just condensed a little more, it could have really shown the, the, the full effect and stuff like that. Because you get little glimpses of that, you know? Uh, of just all these different layers of just areas of Africa and types of people affected by the conflict, or how some of them may be benefiting from the conflict and stuff like that. And I think it works as a general overview of the conflict, but... Some of them I was just like, eh, that seems a little interesting. I'd like to maybe understand a little more of how it's being affected. Um, but the story kept on going and had to keep going in areas and all that. I wouldn't say that's a huge negative, though, given that it, it, it's trying to keep its pace and all that. Mm -hmm. Do you guys think the, um, the kind of quote-unquote happy ending with Solomon and his family. Do you think it's a bit too contrived? Or do you think it goes against this kind of like more brutal, realistic nature? I mean, it kind of feeds into the narrative of what the movie's trying to tell you to begin with, which is mm -hmm. it keeps putting this narrative that you're going to just either die there or get out. And we have the two characters, and that's the two endings for them. One is able to escape, and the other dies on the soil. Mm hmm. Hmm. Get philosophical. Yeah, I don't I like think it's entirely shit. contrived, but uh, if you uh, think about it, what I think um, the movie passively has is like another element, just showing how brutal the whole altercation was in in that country with all those diamonds. Is that all these people are acting so, you know, just slimy, so double crossing, so deceptive. And just doing all these awful things to each other over diamonds. These little tiny rocks. That, I'm just gonna put my personal opinion out there, they don't even look that cool. <laughs> Fuck them. Hey, you can, you can blame uh, Debrar's diamond industry for that. That's our entire uh, early 1920s, 1930s launch campaign that has uh, pushed the entire American wedding belief value. Fuck. Mm. <laughs> God bless America. <laughs> oh, lovely. Yeah, but I mean, in terms of how it covers all these different areas of the conflict, I think, uh, for the most part, it handles it well enough to where you get a good idea of how it's, um, you know, playing into the whole big picture. I thought the interesting one was how, um, I forget the character's name, but uh, the, the bartender in that uh, town that Leo was originally in, um, Leo was saying, oh yeah, the RUF, they're going to be on their way over here, and it sounds like they're getting pretty close. Uh, why don't you guys, like, hightail it out of here before that happens? They're like, well, I mean, this is our home, and whatever happens, happens, but, you know, we'll, we'll have faith in the government in holding them off, and stuff like that. And obviously that takes a turn for the worse when that whole town gets turned into a war zone. <laughs> and almost entirely demilitarized, but, you know, it just shows how far-reaching the conflict is. 
do you think it's an effective message, an anti-message to it? Do you think it did its job well? I think so. Yeah, I, I, I think for the most part, a lot of these things were, were tasteful uh, in terms of how it was handling a lot of that. I, I wouldn't say there's anything that um, really was out of bounds or went a little too far. Uh, I, I, I just think because of where the story is taking place and all that, and also just how I think you miss out on some really good uh, character storytelling, I, I just think Solomon should have had more prominence as the main character. Yeah, and the fact that the like final confrontation between Solomon and the captain who took his kid is resolved during the middle of Leonardo DiCaprio's scene. Yeah, I could see that as kind of uh, grinding. A, a, a little bit. I, I think it takes away from his, uh, I, I suppose, time to shine and stuff like that. His portion of the overall arc of the story, it's handled almost too quickly. And hey, I mean, it, it's it's satisfying that, you know, it resolved at all and the captain got what came to him. But, I mean, it was handled so quickly that it's just like, well, like, now it just feels a little anticlimactic. Mm. You know? The, God, the moment where he goes just full destructive mode is really good, though. <laughs> when he just oh, loses it. Oh, it is. I think it's... Absolutely. Uh, God, all the actors kicked ass in this movie. Oh, they do. Mm-hmm. They do. The other little detail I loved, though, with that part, with that one little scene is the captain throughout the whole movie keeps talking about how like, you're near unstoppable when you have a gun in your hands, and the second he doesn't is when he's face-to-face with Solomon, and he oh, runs. Oh, I like that. No, that's a good point. Ooh. Shit. That's little shit true. like that. Damn. Look at us little philosophers. <laughs> so, overall, would you guys recommend... Obviously, you know my um, answer. Fuck yes. <laughs> yeah, I'd recommend this one. I would, too. I would, too. Obviously, uh, I would say go into it knowing that it doesn't uh, go into super deep detail with uh, like just how much this conflict fully affected the... Um, the country it's going for a more general like action movie sort of approach which i don't think is tasteless but perhaps i think the movie could have gone into more detail and perhaps uh through doing that get more of a emotional reaction stuff like that yeah Uh, because i will still say the the one where i was like oh god that is fucked was just the whole child soldier aspect that really like was just pretty uh pretty eye-opening and i assume it was pretty eye-opening back when it first came out and all that you know yeah yep well you know what they say every kiss begins with an ak <laughs> <laughs> uh okay. oh, no. diamond diamond industry still is uh is messed up like recently i think it was this would have to have been back in 2015 to 2018 somewhere in this time span they were making a big push about selling chocolate diamonds and how you'd like get the, the step-by-step story of where it came from. Mm-hmm. That's in accordance to this law that this movie's based around. Um, that it has to be ethically sourced. Mm-hmm. But chocolate diamonds aren't purified. They're just rough 
gems that you can just call a diamond because they're mostly carbon. Shit. Mm -hmm. We can only hope that fake diamonds get so good it just runs them out. Well, no, they they already are. Fuck yeah. They already are. Mm -hmm. All construction equipment. That's why we have like diamond tipped saws. Mm -hmm. We can make them. They're not valuable at all. Labs can churn them out. It's just there's lobbies that hold them and hoard them so that way they make it seem like they're valuable. It's it's a rock made of our most common element on the planet. God damn. Oh, absolutely. Heat and pressure and a lot of time. But, fuck. Speaking of recommendations, though, I said to believe it's Ian's turn. That it is! So what do you think, sir? So... I suppose when you look at it, it's a little predictable as to why I uh, I went with this. But, I mean, hey, it had me thinking. And uh, I haven't seen this film in a while, you know. Um, but uh, with seeing The Batman, it had me thinking a little more on uh, Batman as just an overall character and stuff like that. And it really had me thinking, man, like... He's had such a long lineage of just different interpretations and, and outings in terms of storytelling, especially in movies. So why don't we take a look at his very first major venture into the cinematic world with Tim Burton's 1989 blockbuster, Batman. Oh, shit. All right, all oh, right. Yes. I look forward to this. I, I only have seen it once, and uh, considering how much Batman has changed over the years, I thought it'd be interesting to look at his very first major one. Because obviously they were like ones from the 40s, but those are more like short serials and stuff like that that were mm -hmm. more based on that. And plus, I mean, that was also at a very odd time for the character, too. Yeah. Because he was just right off the presses, you know? So I figured... Yeah. We should go with the very first big one uh, after, well, really the whole transformation of the comic industry in general, because the 80s was huge around that time in terms of that whole medium. And so seeing the first cinematic outing with the character, I thought it would be interesting. Oh, this, this is the Jack Nicholson one. That's the that one. is the Jack Nicholson Joker one. That is Hell correct. Yeah. <laughs> Every role he's the Joker. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> he's got a little bit of it in there. <laughs> All right. Well, I look forward to it. But until then, that has Dang. been our inciting. Catch you later, everybody. Yep. I'm just saying. Very well. Plastic diamonds exist. Just throwing that out. <laughs> throwing that out there as well. Lab diamonds. They're like a quarter of the price. Test tube baby diamonds. Okay. Just, <laughs> yeah, just get charcoal. Put it under. Put it in your microwave underground for five thousand years. Bada bing, bada boom. Done.